Thanks for listening to Drive Time Devotionals. I'm your host, Bill Simpson, and it is Passion Week, which began with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and of course concluded with His crucifixion on Friday and then resurrection on Sunday morning. I want to take you on a deep dive into a part of His suffering that you may not have ever considered. By better understanding what Jesus went through on our behalf, we can then more clearly accept why we are completely forgiven of every wrong we have or ever will commit against a holy God. The place to begin is with the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Remember, every word of the Bible was breathed out by the Spirit of Christ through both the prophets and the apostles. The Bible is miraculously amazing, and chapters 52 and 53 of Isaiah show us that so clearly. You see, the prophet Isaiah lived, oh, about 700 years before Jesus was crucified. Yet these verses read as if the prophet himself was standing there in front of the cross watching it all take place. Listen to his precise prediction of how it would all unfold from Isaiah 52 and 53. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now that particular verse is often misunderstood from Isaiah about his wounds bringing us healing. It's not physical healing. No, not at all. It is the spiritual healing, our spiritual sickness because of our sins and our separation from God. That's what his wounds healed. Now let's go on in chapter 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You see, Isaiah described the suffering of Jesus very meticulously. He gives us the real suffering of Jesus, the suffering of his soul. You see, thousands of Jewish men died by Roman crucifixion. It was an extremely brutal form of execution. The Romans used it intentionally to deter those they ruled from ever attempting to mount an insurrection. Our English word excruciating literally means out of the cross. Historians tell us that some men even died during the lashing and the beating before they were crucified. 
The entire process of execution by crucifixion was unimaginably painful and humiliating. Most victims were actually crucified naked, and some hung on their crosses for days before finally succumbing to death. The physical suffering was unimaginable, but that is not what Isaiah wrote about. He recorded that the Messiah was so disfigured and marred, he hardly even looked like a human being. Isaiah interpreted the cross for us by declaring that the Lord crushed him and punished him and laid all of our sins on his holy son, and then he had to separate himself from Jesus. To better understand the cross, we have to spend time in the Garden of Gethsemane on that holy Thursday night. You see, it was in the garden that we learn of the coming suffering and how it impacted the Son of God. From Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 39, we read, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Can you imagine this scene? Jesus said his soul was so overwhelmed that he felt like he was going to die just from the anticipation of his coming suffering. Was this from the beating and the nails he was going to experience? No. It was the suffering of his soul he so dreaded. It was the reality of having the weight and guilt and darkness of all of our sins put on him. It was the soul suffering of his loving father to crush him as he became saturated with our sins and bore the punishment of those sins for all of us. It was so terrifying for Jesus that he literally begged his father three times for another way. He asked that he not have to drink the cup. What cup is he talking about? Well, the cup is the cup of the wrath of the fury of the Lord Almighty, which was a frequent metaphor with the Old Testament prophets. You see, the cup is God's judgment against the self-seeking disobedience of mankind. And Jesus was terrified of drinking this cup. Matthew and Luke used five different words to describe Jesus' terror. Listen to his plea in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Medical doctors explain that if a person is under extreme agony and stress, their facial capillaries can actually burst under the stress. That is what happened to our Lord Jesus that night in the garden as he was tormented by the coming suffering of his soul. And even as he begged for another way, 
he still accepted his Father's will for him to be enveloped with our sins so that we could be covered with his righteousness. Now there's one more aspect of Jesus' crucifixion we must consider. What happened at noon and why? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all wrote that at noon, which for them would be the sixth hour of the day because their time began at 6 a.m., so the sixth hour is noon, that darkness swallowed up the sky for three hours until Jesus' death at approximately 3 p.m. Luke added, the sun stopped shining. Now, I don't think it was the darkness we've all experienced from a mid-afternoon thunderstorm with thick, dark, threatening clouds. The wording in the New Testament describes the darkness of nighttime. And if you think about it, their nighttime was much darker than ours. So why three hours of darkness? Surely that darkness indicates the spiritual suffering of Jesus and all that was happening in the unseen world. But I also think it was a means of grace for Mary and the other women and the Apostle John who were all there watching and waiting. I believe the darkness hid from their eyes how Jesus' spiritual suffering affected him physically. Remember what Isaiah told us? That his body became almost unrecognizable as a human being. This is what transpired during those three awful and dark hours. Jesus took on every aspect of every sin of every person who would believe and receive his forgiveness. He was rejected by his Father because he was now completely sin. So at the end of these horrible hours, a pitiful voice cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he breathed his last. Jesus didn't simply die for your sins. He suffered infinitely more than what we can possibly comprehend. And we don't even have any description about what this was like for the father to have to crush his son and reject him on our behalf. You see, Jesus' immense suffering in body and soul is why you are completely and thoroughly forgiven of every wrong you have ever committed or ever will commit against the holy God. You are forgiven of every time you failed to do what was right but you are also forgiven of every time you did what was wrong. The reason we're to live in devotion to Jesus is to thank Him for His suffering and His resurrection. We strive to live new lives empowered by His Spirit because we now belong to Jesus and we get the high privilege of taking part in His very nature. We can truly love because of how He loved us. And for that reason, I want to pray this prayer for us now. It's a kingdom come prayer written by the Apostle Paul to the believers in the city of Ephesus. And since I am praying the very words of God, this is the will of God that Jesus promised his Father would answer. Father God, I ask that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen all of us with power through your Spirit and the, our innermost being, so that the Lord Jesus will dwell in our hearts through faith and we will be rooted and grounded in love. And may we have power together as your people to grasp how high and wide and long and deep 
the love of Jesus Christ is so that we can know this love which surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of yours, God. Now to you who are able to do immeasurably more than all that I just asked in anything we can imagine, according to your power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Hey, you can find additional resources to encourage you in your faith on my website at billsimpson.org. Now may the grace of Jesus be with you all.